Hello, this is Anthony Day with another episode of the Sustainable Futures Show. Happy Friday. Sustainability. It's a word that the Republicans in the US refuse to use. I've heard it said that the Conservatives, and in particular George Osborne, take every opportunity to avoid that word as well. Don't they want to admit that sustainability is real? Do they think that if they close their eyes, put their fingers in their ears and go la la la, it will go away? Well, they'd better not go to the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham next week, because there's a three-day conference there called Sustainability Live. There'll be 200 organisations represented, 100 speakers and thousands of delegates from all over the United Kingdom and quite a few from overseas. Though whether there'll be any Republicans amongst them, I don't know. Among the exhibitors will be IEMA, the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. It's the largest professional body for practitioners in sustainability and environmental management. I spoke recently to Tim Balkan, CEO of the Institute. Here's what he told me. Well, hello. Today I'm with uh, Tim Balkan, who is Chief Executive of IEMA. That's the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. Now, Tim, that's an organisation which exists, as I understand it, to set professional standards for professionals working in the environment field. And that's true. And currently we have 15,000 members. So we believe we're the biggest environmental management professional body in the world. Uh, We can certainly say that in Europe. Um, and no, nobody else that does what we do but actually it's more than environmental management a lot of our members deal with sustainability in the broader issue uh, and, and started life with environmental management and this is where AIM is developing Okay, in fact in the course of last year I believe the Institute aligned itself with GAXO the Global Association for Corporate Sustainability Officers so is that broadening the perspective? That was, uh, it, it was indeed so we did um, a roadshow with our members and we asked them a number of, we asked them three questions, uh, in effect, uh, how is AIMA for you, was the first question. The second question was, what does a really good professional body look like? And the third question was, what's the elephant in the room? And in, in answer to the, the second two points, there was a very, very strong drive that says, actually, we used to do environmental management, and we still do, but our remit is much broader than that, and actually sustainability is a better description of the kind of things that we do. So uh, we decided to do that with our vision. As you see, our vision is about to change the world to sustainability, or transforming the world to sustainability. And Gaxo come along at a, at a point in time, which was, uh, in time it was perfect, where you had a small group of very senior people who didn't feel as though they had a professional body, and now they do. And they were very, very happy to... to um, give Gaxo into the AIMA family. Okay, one thing I've noticed is while this is an organisation which sets professional standards, it clearly has an agenda because you've been issuing uh, postcards to all members, asking them to ask parliamentary candidates for May's election some key questions relating to sustainability. You've repeated that on the website and you've got a, a link where you want members to add their input. So are we moving from a professional standards organisation to a, a more of a lobbying organisation? Uh, lobbying, no. <clears throat> so when we did the um, Vision 2020 consultation with our members, 
we, we got out of that a number of key things that our members would like us to do as a professional body. And one of the things I said is they wanted to speak out more and be a little bit more courageous with some of our messaging. We said at that time we are not a campaigning or a lobbying body. But what we are about is getting the good advice and good practice and making sure that we shout about what's uh, those kind of elements. So in terms of the election, the election is an opportunity to have a voice, have a say, have a vote. And the idea behind our campaign at the moment on the election is simply to give good information to our members so that they can choose the appropriate party that fits their version of sustainability. Okay. Yes, you, you said that you certainly shout about what the organisation believes in. And at the end of last year, you produced the Perfect Storm report about skills shortages. And there's also been a position paper on climate change and energy both of which you launched with some fanfare um, in London, I think. Uh, and this is it. And this is, uh, this is giving our members, and actually it's giving people well beyond our membership, the good advice that we think people need to, to run their businesses and their organisations. So the perfect storm was the first time really where we've combined the various elements that we have in aim about resource efficiency, about energy, about waste, uh, all the kind of classic environmental management uh, components and put that into a, a position statement. And, and when you read The Perfect Storm, what it does, it predicts the future. And the future will impact on all businesses and all individuals, so the megatrends, if you, if you use the, the terminology, the population growth, the energy usage, the, the 50% increase in energy usage, 40% in water, those kind of things will impact on, on businesses. And the second thing is climate change. There are very few businesses out there that are not being affected by climate change and there are very few businesses out there that have the skills and capabilities to deal with the impacts that those that those key elements will have on their business so we launched those three position statements and that's about giving good advice what we're about as a professional body is we have the experts in our membership to give those businesses and organizations the capabilities to be able to deal with those coming to the future so a very obvious one would be um, it's now common uh, occurrence in the news regarding floods. This captures many businesses by surprise, and it's entirely predictable. And, and we have a number of examples where businesses who are not affected by floods, but their supply chain is affected by floods. And once again, it, it gets these businesses by surprise, and it's not a surprise. Our members are very... Uh, familiar with the concepts of trying to manage your supply chain, trying to make sure that you can manufacture your goods or services in a way that's, that will take you to the future. And the ones that get the hang of this early are the ones that's going to survive through these changes. Well, I'm very glad to hear you say that because I offer a, a workshop called The Green Supply Chain and it's basically just about that, dealing with contingencies. But just going back to the perfect storm which emphasised the lack of skills and a serious skill shortage, I think particularly in the UK, um, what are we going to do about it? Uh, is the Institute doing anything with schools in order to put people on the track towards the t sort of skills that we need? There's a huge programme of activity. Uh, in a sense, a professional body, its DNA is around skills. So it, you would expect us to be able to do something. So we've done a number of things. We've looked at the, um, the train providers that we approve and accredit. And we've, we've actually made that process more robust so that we can genuinely offer 
quality approved training providers to all of the employers out there that seek in training and development for, uh, for their staff. So we've launched a holding on subsidiary within AEMA, which is Sustainability Training Solutions, or STS as, as we call that. It's an umbrella arm. Um, we are, uh, what we're seeing is a lot more training providers are wanting to get involved in this but didn't know where to come to or didn't know that their costs had to be, uh, had, had, any, had any relevance. We can bring the businesses and the individuals to that market. So in effect what we're doing is creating a skills market. More importantly, we're bringing all the key component parties and stakeholders to that market together so for the first time they can start to communicate and then articulate their demands of training and also be able to supply those with training providers. And that is working phenomenally well at the moment. Okay, but are you doing anything at the stage before that, at schools or at universities, to start people off at the very very beginning of their careers? We are. We've just started talking to uh, some of our corporate members Mm-hmm. And and this is one of those activities where you you set the seeds for what will come out in the future. So we're going to make some changes to our um, student membership uh, because that's a key component. We're working very closely um, with EAUC. Um, that's uh, what, what's that? I thought you might ask me that one. <laughs> it's the, um, Sorry, it's the Environmental Association of Universities and Colleges. Um, now, those guys do a lot of good work with, with that particular cohort, and their remit is to spread sustainability across the whole curriculum. As you can see, we have a specialist uh, input. Now, together, we can have a partnership there that, so that the employers can articulate precisely the kind of things that they would need their students to come out of universities and colleges with, and then EAUC will be able to help and support that um, uh, tertiary education mechanism uh, in place as well. So it's early days, but we have a, a real clear view that universities at the highest level have to engage in this and they have to collaborate with each other. Okay. Well, let's go back again to the climate change and energy position paper. There's a lot of things in here, uh, a lot of hopes, a lot of expectations. And... Um, the first thing you say is that we need climate leadership at all levels, and I'm sure nobody would argue with that, but how do we do that? It's about, we are actually seeing a number of organisations doing this. They may not describe it in the way that you've described. And they're moving away from being the environmental person that adds a environmental conscience to their business to somebody who is fundamentally changing the culture of their business to understand the impacts of the environment and vice versa, and of course, uh, sustainability. Now, when you can start to embed a, an organisation memory around climate change and energy, it means that when a person leaves the organisation, you're still left there with a, a culture of this is what we do as an organisation, this is how we do it. So we're starting to see sustainability built into uh, uh, corporate objectives, for example. What we are seeing through our corporate membership is many organisations coming to us and saying this is the challenge I'm facing now to, to develop that culture. What can we do as a professional body to help? Well, actually, there's loads we can do to help. The one missing element from this was the ability for organisations to talk to like-minded organisations. And they don't have to be in the same sector. We, we are finding tremendous value by getting these guys in the same room for them to share some of the challenges and successes that they've achieved and together they are learning and sharing best practice. Uh, 
Right. And it's, it's, there is no perfect model here. There isn't something out. It's not like a county where you have a set of rules that you have to apply to. In effect, we are making the rules. But by getting the, the people who are leading this agenda together in that same room, then it means actually we're in a much better position to share that best practice and share that learning. Right. Well, there are already uh, resource efficiency clubs dotted around the country which are coming together in an informal way to share yeah. best practice. But when you say there are no rules, yes, I'd agree with you partly, but there is over the whole of us a government structure which does make certain rules, and those rules, in terms of taxes and that sort of thing, can make a particular uh, course of action viable or not viable. But one of the things you complain about in the paper is the lack of political certainty, uh, the lack of policy confidence. And we've seen things like the feed-in tariff, which has been changed almost overnight, and, and other regulations. And when you've got to put in significant investment in order to carry out a particular process or to be sustainable in a particular way, if policy changes overnight, uh, people aren't going to bother, are they? No, I, I agree with your, with your challenge in actual fact. What we've, what we've seen, I think, from governments is a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the most well-meaning policies are countered by some ill-thought-through policies. So, it, again, there's not an absolute model here. There's not a, you should do this and this is the tax or this is the, this is the policy that you should be driving. But the starting point has to be a long-term objective. You know, instead of this literally this, this three or four year cycle where we'll, we'll leap from one policy to the next. So if you take the ones on policy, on the one hand uh, supporting uh, the fossil fuels, uh, subsidies on fossil fuels, and yet also citing that, they're, um, that they are supporting renewable energies. Well, if it's truly sustainable, you can't have both. And energy is a complicated beast, mm -hmm. you know. There isn't a... Uh, it's not easy just to leap to renewable sources because the price and availability and technology is not quite there yet. So that needs to, to we need to move and develop and evolve along with, with those technologies. But we can only do that with some security and confidence if we have a long-term policy development process. And at the moment, I don't see that. Okay. Well, as we've said, there's going to be an election early in May. I could say, uh, what do you expect will happen? Although I think the answer to that is, who can predict? But what would you like to happen? <laughs> now, there's a question. I'd like, I'd like, um, I'd like the sustainability agenda to to um, to be seen as uh, as fundamental to uh, UK's economy. Right. Um, at the. At the moment, uh, unfortunately, sometimes... Well, it's not seen as a vote winner, so it gets dropped down the agenda and it's not get, and doesn't get discussed properly. In actual fact, there are some popular uh, comments around green taxes at the moment which are completely counterintuitive, but yet they would appear to be quite... Um, uh, as a popular, popular statement to make. And until you've got this long-term policy horizon that you can, that you can plan to, then... You know, we're going to end up in a situation of course. So what I'd like to see is, is a cross-party group looking at some sustainable um, economic policies and legislation. OK. Some people, some politicians, some business people say, the UK, we account for 1.8% of global emissions. Why are we beating ourselves up? Why are we restricting our business when we are insignificant in the face of all the emissions which are being made in China and the United States and the rest of the world? Why should we bother? 
first of all, I think there's a myth in what there's a bit of mythology in that, and it's something that you hear uh, on a regular basis. We find that as our members get better and more skilled at environmental management and sustainability, it actually promotes their business profitability and growth, and actually their uh, their social impact as well. Um, so, uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, this is about leadership. There is no greater uh, agenda at the moment than dealing with the impacts of climate change and, and some of those mega trends I mentioned earlier, the population growth, the energy shortages, the water shortages, the resource. Um, I was going to say scarcity, but volatility, I think, might be a better word at this moment in time. Um, and for the government, this government, to believe it's a small part in the in this uh, global agenda, it's just lacking any kind of leadership position. And I'd like to see UK in a leadership position. Okay. The two biggest players, of course, are China and the United States. They apparently signed an accord a few weeks ago, and they're going to do good things at the Paris conference in December. Does that make you optimistic? How do I answer that one? Um... Uh, let's take the positives from that. The positives are there's, there is some recognition of the work that needs to be done. Um, this, I suppose the negative is, but we need to go much further and much quicker than that particular accord. And, and this is where leadership actually starts to, uh, to come into the fore. And this is where it drops down the political agenda to such a point where believing that that is going to address the issue... Um, it, it's it's literally akin to putting your head in a bucket of sand, um, and this is where we are. So uh, good that we've started to recognise this, but there's loads more work to do. Yeah, yes, a lot of people are saying right. Well, we're looking forward to Paris in December, but the thing is, Copenhagen a few years ago was supposed to be the turning point, and um, we've left it so much later that why wait for Paris? We should be doing things now, shouldn't we? There is a point here that says government is not the answer to all the problems either. And you are quite right in saying that government are an enormous lever with policies and legislation because that's key, clearly that's a key factor in, in running any business. So what business wants to do is to be able to perform with a level of certainty around legislation. So uh, there's no denying that that's a lever. Some of the most inspiring work that's been done around climate change and, uh, and sustainability, I, said, I suppose, to use that better language, has been done by corporates themselves and big businesses. And when it happens naturally, it tends to happen with a bigger impact because legislation is a blunt tool. Mm -hmm. Policies are generally a blunt tool and it always works to a point. When businesses develop their own solutions, you tend to get a much more sustainable uh, proposition coming from them. Okay. So looking ahead, Tim, on balance, are you optimistic? What do you think the main things are that are going to, well, the main challenges that are going to happen in, in, the, in the future? I am always optimistic, uh, and perhaps more so than some of my colleagues, and I'll tell you why, because this is a relatively new sector for me. There's always been an interest here. But I've been in this role two years, uh, previously in energy and education, and what I've seen is the most inspiring work being done by some of the bigger companies and some of the smaller companies and by individuals. And when you aggregate that activity of 15,000 members, 200 corporates, and these numbers are growing almost on a weekly basis now, 
then it gives you a real sense of optimism that says, you know what, there's a lot of people that get this and understand it. And what our members are wanting to do now is have more of an impact, a bigger impact on where they work and their work, uh, their work environment. So the answer to your question is, I am optimistic. Um, but that's not denying that uh, we are currently not doing enough. Mm. And the challenges? The challenges are, it's conv- it, the people that get it are, are the ones that's, made, that's trying to make the change. And a lot of those people are asking the question, how do I get my organisation to understand the value I can bring to them? Um, how do I convince my FD that this is an economic benefit as well as a business benefit? How do I convince my HR director that there needs to be a complete shift in culture and skills and capabilities? And how do I, connect, how do I convince my CEO, who are generally short-term um, appointments by the nature of being CEO, uh, that actually in the short term that his business or her business can, uh, can, can perform in that way? So it's giving those people with the skills and making the messages, which is why there's an emphasis here on the Professional Institute, uh, IEMA. We need to give our members the tools and techniques, and this is why we're sharing and uh, where it's worked for. One company, we're sharing that best practice with another company. You can see it in Perfect Storm. It's written all over that, and there'll be a subsequent um, uh, report coming out on top of Perfect Storm uh, later on this year. And our members are now saying, I can use this to take into my business and make a difference because I've now got the business language, I've now got the tools of influence that I can take to my business or organisation, so I'm feeling more optimistic. And that's where the professional body needs to be more supportive. Great. So, in summary, is it fair to say that you are confident that we will achieve the low-carbon economy? I am uh, confident. Um, Optimistic, I think I would say at this this moment, it can be done. It absolutely can be done. <coughs> there is only us, as in people, that's stopping it. Right, Tim Balkan, thank you very much for sharing this with us. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Tim Balkan, CEO of the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. IEMA is at. IEMA.net, I-E-M-A.net. You can catch up with them on their stand at Sustainability Live at the National Exhibition Centre next week. Them and about 200 other organisations. So if you're serious about sustainability, it makes sense to sign up. Go to sustainabilitylive.com. It's free. You may see me there, although as I don't have a stand, it may be a struggle to find me amongst the thousands of other delegates. If you do want to get in touch to talk about how to make your business more sustainable, how to plan for contingencies and for a sustainable future, why not send an email to mail at anthony-day.com. That's A-N-T-H-O-N-Y-Day.com. Or if you've got ideas for future episodes or comments or questions, do send an email. Next time, I'll be talking to Fiona Pelham about sustainable events and the international standard ISO 2012-1. I hope you can join me then. For the moment, this is Anthony Day and the Sustainable Futures Show saying thank you for listening. Till next time.